0: Welcome to Electric Evolution with Liz Allen. This podcast is about the journey to a more sustainable future in order for us to be able to do our bit to achieve net zero. I'll be discussing a variety of topics with experts in their field in order to educate and increase our knowledge of clean energy, electric vehicles and the electric vehicle infrastructure. So whether you're an individual wanting to make a difference at home, a small business or a corporate, this podcast is just for you. Okay, so on electric evolution today, I actually have Professor Richard Allen, who is a professor of climate science at the University of Reading, and just happens to be my husband. So welcome. I'm going to call you Richard on here. (laughs) Welcome, and thank you for coming on.
1: Nice to see you. (laughs) (laughs) It's slightly weird,
0: because we are still doing this in the same house, aren't we? So, So yeah. But um, it made it made sense to actually bring you on this because when the when I'm talking about where I want to be with this podcast, it's partly to do with us as a family as well. So that's where I I, I see us going. But but let's start off by giving if you can give everybody a bit of your background and how you got into what you're doing now at the university.
1: Okay. Well, um, when I was young, I remember the the winter of 81-82. was pretty snowy back where I was growing up in St Albans. And, you know, I got interested in the weather, you know, what, how can we forecast when snow's going to happen or not? And why do they sometimes get it wrong? And, you know, so I got interested in the weather. And then I, I learned about how, you know, 20,000 years ago, we were in the midst of an ice age, and there were ice sheets moving across Northern Britain. And, you know, so I you know, became interested in how that happened. And so I I studied my maths and physics and uh, went on to do go to university and then did a PhD at the University of Reading. And uh, um, now I'm a climate scientist at the University of Reading, um, having previously worked at the, the Met Office for a bit as well. And I also have worked on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change.
0: So, do you want to just expand a little bit on that? So, it's a, it was a new chapter that they'd introduce, wasn't it, for for the IPCC? Just to explain a little about a bit about that chapter.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the IPCC was set up to, you know, assess the current understanding of climate change, um, and that's been, you know, periodically there've been reports, assessment reports since the, the nineteen ninety. So, the latest one I was involved in, and and the ones before that. So this time there was a new chapter on the water cycle so I was a, a lead author in that but I was also involved in um, the summary for policymakers which I think is an you know, extremely important document that kind of fed into the COP26 in Glasgow um and as you well remember we it kind of disturbed our our summer in 2021 when I, I did, had to I did. go into these um approval process where you actually have to get you know 150 government Representatives to agree line by line every sentence of the report. Anyway, it's important because, therefore, each country has a buy-in to what the report says. It's kind of agreed to it, and therefore, it's kind of it's a motivation that they need to act on it because you know it's been agreed uh, jointly. Very true.
0: Yes, and yes, I do. I do remember that very much. So it was quite a stressful time, wasn't it? Then, yeah. <laughs> especially eating eating into the summer holidays so um so can you just give everybody a little bit of background i'd I'd like you to kind of provide a bit of science background if you can to climate change and um, what's happened in order for us to reach this point and what have we done to contribute to it
1: yeah so i mean we know we know that climate has always changed you know going back millions of years or tens of thousands of years and you know can look at the, the data going back and you see climate has changed naturally. But what's happening now is completely extraordinary. It's, it's well outside of what we can see. So, for example, you can go back and look at ice cores in Antarctica that go down nearly two kilometres. Mm-hmm. And the further back you go, uh, the further down you go, the, the, it's like a time machine, the further back in time you go. And that can tell you about these wild swings that I mentioned before about ice ages and interglacial periods that we're in now. But What it also does is it traps fossilised kind of bubbles of air in the ice core. So you can actually track the atmospheric composition over time. And that actually shows that carbon dioxide has been varying quite a lot over many tens of thousands of years, between about 180 and 280 parts per million in the atmosphere. So very small amounts, but significant, because carbon dioxide is such a strong greenhouse gas. And so we know that carbon dioxide helps to amplify these climate these glacial cycles in the past but the crucial thing is the current concentrations rather than being between um, 180 and 280 parts per million are now at 420 parts per million so well outside what's happened before and Mm -hmm. we know for a fact that current concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere are the highest in at least the last two million years at least probably Mm -hmm. a lot longer And that's important because carbon dioxide is a very potent greenhouse gas. We've already got a natural greenhouse effect on Earth and that keeps the planet habitable. But if you add more greenhouse gases to the atmosphere, it enhances, it strengthens this greenhouse effect. It it limits how efficiently the the air can, the atmosphere can cool to space. So what we're in the moment is that um, carbon dioxide is going up. That's meaning there's more energy coming in than leaving, and that's causing the the climate to warm up. And we know for a fact that carbon dioxide is is rising because of humans, Um, Mm. and it's primarily because of burning of fossil fuels, so coal predominantly, but also oil and natural gas as well. But also making cement is a big effect, and to a lesser extent, but still important, deforestation. So we know that every year human activities is putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and some people might argue well these amounts that are going into the atmosphere are tiny compared to what naturally comes out and back into the ocean every year but and it that's true but these natural flows of carbon dioxide and carbon are in balance whereas we're tipping things out of balance and that increase in carbon dioxide is heating the planet and then you get some knock-on effects that actually amplify that climate change. So the bottom line is that we know that human activities have increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. That's heating the planet. And we know that pretty much all of the warming that we've seen since pre-industrial times, which is about just over 1 degree C, 1 degree Celsius, is exclusively due to human activities. So we've already caused a warming of 1 degree C.
0: So, what is going to happen in future to the climate if we don't do something to prevent prevent this from ha- keeping on, you know, from happening moving forwards?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we, we're all aware of the extreme events that are, are going on across the world. So, we've seen in the last couple of years, for example, severe flooding in uh, Belgium, Netherlands, and Germany last year. Um, we've had. Heat, a severe heat wave in Western Europe this year, as we, we remember, mm. Um, mm. and also drought conditions. But we've also seen severe flooding in other places. And these, these events, you can't pin each event and say, well, this event was caused by climate change due to humans. But what you can say is that the warming, because of human activities, has made these events more severe. And so the reason for that is, for example, take the flooding that we, we've seen in this country, but also in, in Europe and China and elsewhere. In a warmer world, the air holds more water, more water vapour, invisible, gaseous water vapour. And when that gets drawn into storms, that then gets you know sucked in and then spewed out as, as rainfall or snowfall. And the intensity of the rainfall is, is stronger in a warmer world. And similarly a warmer atmosphere is more thirsty for this water. So in some regions, it's sucking moisture out of the ground more effectively and moving that with the winds into these storm systems. But, you know, where it's sucking it out of the ground, you you can get the onset of drought more rapidly. Um, The warmer temperatures, of course, will exacerbate heat waves and wildfires. So we're already seeing some of these effects happening. And if we carry on warming as we're doing, these events are only going to become more severe so it's like we haven't you know we've only seen the tip of the iceberg so far so things are going to get worse we're going to get more intense rainfall and flooding events going to get more severe droughts like the one for example we're seeing Somalia Um, we're going to get more serious heat waves like we saw in Western Europe with unprecedented record-breaking temperatures. So every bit of warming is important. As we warm the planet more, we'll increase the severity of these extremes and they'll particularly hit uh, the most vulnerable uh, across the globe.
0: So what can we do to prevent this ourselves then?
1: So as I said, the primary cause of this is we're emitting Carbon dioxide and to a lesser extent, but still important methane and nitrous oxides into the atmosphere, and that's making mm-hmm. the greenhouse effects more more mm-hmm. potent so the simple solution, simple to say but not to do, is to cut greenhouse gas emissions, so not just slow the rate at which we 're emitting but actually cut to net zero so mm-hmm. um, we've got to you know actually get to the stage where Um, Any residual emissions of carbon dioxide or methane are balanced by um, a flux of carbon dioxide into the ground or into the ocean um, using any technological solutions or nature based solutions we can. So that's where we've got to get to. At the moment, we're still actually increasing emissions, let alone decreasing emissions and let alone getting anywhere near to net zero. So, so that, you know, that is what we've got to do to limit climate change. We can't go back to where we were in pre-industrial times, but we can limit the warming to, say, going back to the Paris Climate Agreement uh, a few years ago, limiting the warming well below two degrees ab- above pre-industrial and, if possible, 1.5 degrees C above pre-industrial. And those um, levels were chosen because above those levels, you start to get um, really unmanageable consequences um, across the globe
0: so you've just mentioned net zero then so and we hear net zero a lot don't we so in order for us to reach de- so actually do you know what can you just give an, an explanation of what what we see net zero being as you know as, as say like a, as a small business for me you know and and individuals that will be watching and listening to this what what is actually what is it what is net zero
1: well i mean theoretically it would it would be where all human activities that generate that put extra carbon dioxide into the atmosphere would cease. There'd be none of that. Practically, that's not going to be possible, even in the long term, because there are certain activities that will generate some emissions. I mean, unless we cut all flights um, or somehow generate flights that are, are able to run on batteries or or, or and solar, um, there'll always be some emissions. So practically, there'll have to be some technological or nature based solution whereby any emissions of carbon into the atmosphere through, say, burning oil that makes carbon dioxide go into the atmosphere. Any of that is balanced by an equal and opposite flow of carbon into either the land or into the ocean through some um, Solution where, you know, for example, re- reforesting or uh, foresting regions um, permanently yeah, yeah. is using, yeah. um, but using native trees that, that will survive. Yes. But other, other ways are, for example, um, we hear about where you can grow a crop that takes in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere as it grows. The carbon goes into its trunks. You burn that crop for energy, but then you capture the gas that comes out the carbon dioxide that comes out and bury it deep underground. That's one theoretical solution. So you have a a virtuous cycle where you're continually growing crops, generating energy, but capturing the carbon and storing it underground. So you're actually drawing in carbon into the ground in that process. But, you know, none of these technological solutions have been um, proven yet. You know, we're at the early stages in kind of developing some of these possibilities.
0: So that's kind of like a positive trade-off then, isn't it, that we're talking about? We're sort of, as in a a trade-off. One, we're doing one thing, and therefore we need to do something else to compensate for those those things that are actually happening. Is
1: that what you're saying? Kind of. I mean, essentially, the bottom line is we've got to massively reduce our emissions. That's the number uh, number one aim. So, any activity that produces carbon dioxide, be it driving a car, be it heating your home with natural gas, um, be it going on a, a, a flight, you know these emissions have got to be reduced to as, as low as we can, as close to zero as we can. So, for example, moving towards electrification of the energy system, moving away from natural gas as a heating method um, and reducing flights to um, reducing emissions from flights, for example, through industry and reducing methane emissions from agriculture. And then anything that's left over that we can't, reduce any further then we'd have to balance by some technological fix to actually draw carbon in to the ground through these you know technological solutions so we're getting to a balance so any emission any emissions are balanced by a net uptake of carbon um through um technological means and that would be realistic net zero.
0: yeah, I was going to say that there's so much innovation out there at the moment. I, I, I was at an at a EV show the other day in, at, at the XL and just seeing that on the um, electric vehicle infrastructure, you know, the actual innovation that's out there that is coming through is just amazing. I was My mind was blown as I as I went went round this exhibition. So, so I can imagine there's things that are being invented now that we don't even know about that will help with all this, won't there?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So, there's some. If we look at climate change, you know, kind of over the past few years. Obviously, we've been together for a number of years. We've come across. You've come across plenty of skeptics out there. So, so how? what's happened to change their minds? Is it, is it just because of the fact that you can't, you can't argue with the evidence of what's happening? Or are there other things that are, are actually changing people's minds? Well, well,
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, there, there was always a lot of evidence, even back in the, the 90s when there were a lot of sceptics that were very vocal in the early 2000s. Um, but you're right, the, the, the their position is untenable based on the scientific evidence. But nevertheless, you've got to see why, you know, what the motivation is for some of the these sceptics. And many of them may have interests in um, fossil fuel industries or something like or some funding. So there can be that aspect that that there's a kind of an additional motivation for them to hold a particular view. Otherwise, you know, once you've got a view, it's very difficult to change it. Even as a scientist, you know, you, you do a selective filtering of information that comes in and you you like the stuff that agrees with what you what you think and you're not so keen on the stuff that doesn't but you know the science is so um clear now uh, based on multiple lines of evidence um across many many years that yeah i i very rarely come into contact with climate skeptics now because you know their position is untenable
0: there is there is one person that i can remember that you spoke in front of or you spoke at a, a, i'm not i'm not going to mention that person's name okay. but that was that was a very interesting time wasn't it when you actually went up against a real massive climate skeptic well
1: it, i found it incre- incredibly stressful because i was at quite an early stage in my career and they were almost um you know questioning my integrity my scientific yes. expertise so and because they, you know, they would just bombard you with these, you know, 20 page dense documents saying why they were right. And you, you can't literally respond to some of these things rapidly because um, mm. even though the evidence is clear, it's difficult to um, you know, pick arguments with, with people who are very skilled at, at manipulating and cherry picking. So, yeah, I, Absolutely. I'm glad that... there's not, not so much of that to deal with these days.
0: I'm glad you've not gone up against him (laughs) again. I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether that person's actually changed, changed his mind just Mm. out of curiosity. Hopefully, hopefully (laughs) so. (laughs) Because, you know, the (laughs) the evidence, like you say now, is indisputable. So, you know. I've I've not
1: heard a peep from him in years.
0: (laughs) Thank God for that. (laughs) So I was going to, I was going to actually also talk about, so part of the reason, as I've explained this on the, on the, uh, very first podcast is about our um the the reason behind the podcast in the first place which so which isn't just piggybacking what what you do you know kind of in in, at the at the university it's my own journey as a as an individual as well as as us as a family and you know and I'd like to actually give back as well you know and and I and I think um Trying to educate people about climate change because there's such a lot of information out there and so much noise and and people don't always hear the positive side of things and and they'll kind of they'll get a little glimpse of something that's going on and they they just kind of think that it's just there's just negative negative things so so that's part of the reason why I wanted to kind of release this podcast because as a family. We're going on a journey, aren't we? Really, you know. The, if, if I call it the journey to electrification, that's kind of what our long-term journey is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it, it's it's everyone's journey as well, isn't it? I mean, it, you mentioned, I mean, for example, the University of Reading, as as a large company in Reading, is is you know trying to move to net zero by twenty thirty, and, and they're, they're you know hugely electrifying. Um, using solar panels um, their, their infrastructure and now we're looking into um, moving away from obviously burning natural gas for heating and mm. going towards heat pumps so mm. there's there's those kind of aspects but um, of course there are other personal things that, that people can do um, flying less or not at all is probably the, the top one in, in, a, in a rich society because that uses produces so many CO2s per person and um, mm. Cutting out, driving, going towards walking, cycling, um, those those kind of aspects, changing the diet to to a low carbon diet. So, for example, predominantly plant based. Um, And it's not almost a matter of, you know, saying eating meat, um, you know, going plant based on one day. It's more like going meat, eating meat on one day. You know, if a famous person once said, if we all do a little bit, we'll achieve a little bit. Everyone's got to do a massive amount. So the only real way that that individuals can uh, contribute a, a massive amount is is through coordinated, collaborative, cross-sector approaches. So that's where, on the one hand, you've got governments who are um, setting laws and building... Targets. Building a framework for, to help people like us to move towards um, low carbon. But also, you've got the fact that, um, like Reading Borough Council, for example, is doing a lot towards getting to net zero. And um, so, local councils, cities, large companies, local groups, it's a real cross group and cross sector. So, transport, agriculture, um, heating, you know, across all these aspects. And it's got to be across, sector kind of approach whereby small groups can contribute but you do need this this top-down contribution as well as a bottom-up contribution because like you mentioned earlier on we've got this common aim of getting to net zero we don't want to increase the severity of flooding droughts heat waves and also there's a long-term issues of sea level rise because sea level will continue rising for hundreds even thousands of years because it takes that kind of time scale for the deep oceans to heat up and expand but also for giant ice sheets like greenland to melt so if you went back to the last time that the world was a comparable level of temperature as it was in the last decade that's one hundred twenty-five thousand years ago the last interglacial period when sea levels were maybe five to ten meters higher than they are today so these kind of things to think about really put it home as to what an important um, point in uh, human history we're at. And so we've got to all act cross sector. And you're right that um, individually we can also do our bit with the help of governments and local borough councils. Mm -hmm. So with our house, for example, you know, we're still got an inefficient house. We need to insulate it better. If it's well insulated, then perhaps we can move to heat pumps rather than natural gas Um, solar panels for electricity um, and of course helping to charge our future electric car which we we will need to get at some point soon so yeah sorry that was a bit of a long answer to your question
0: no it's absolutely (laughs) absolutely fine it's not it's not long i was going to say um our son james is is as you as we both know uh, is 17 so so really what we do now will affect him when we're gone, won't it? you know so so all that we have to think about this in in kind of i'm not trying to be morbid or anything like that, but we have to think about the people the the kids now and the teenagers and you know people what we do now will affect them in the long term, won't it? So, so it's, it's, it's about leaving, leaving them, not leaving a bad, not leaving, leaving a negative le- legacy. It's about leaving a positive legacy for them. Isn't it really? And that, that's a really good it.
1: point because that's the other thing to, to act thoughtfully. So rather than just acting with the sole purpose of, we've got to get to net zero, net zero, you can get to net zero through um, methods that can help in other ways help quality of life. Um, mm. The way we live our lives Um, through nature-based solutions, helping to um, deal with the biodiversity crisis. Um, So having um, methods to get to net zero that are also helping to improve the lives of humans, but also the lives of ecosystems, um, animals, Um, plants.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's 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 a lot it's a long-term thing isn't it it's not no it's it's as I say with continuous improvement it's not an overnight thing you know this this is long-term but we all we all need to be in it for the ride and this is this is kind of um this podcast really is to kind of get that word out there and try and reach people just like me I'm saying we're not all professors <laughs> obviously I'm not but you know just you know kind of anybody I want this to get out to as many people as as I possibly can because I just think education is really really important and that's how I see this podcast being it's an education um for other people it's an education for me for us as a family you know because the journey that we're on to actually make our, our family life more sustainable and kind of work you know be um using more renewable sources and kind of be more sensible about how we're dealing with things moving forward. I, I just see that that is really, really important.
1: Well, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll try and tune in as well. Cause I can learn a <laughs> hell of a lot.
0: <laughs> oh, I've been talking to some brilliant people already. Mm. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a real journey for us all. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to finish there by just asking if people want to get hold of you, how do they find you? Uh, You've got a university website, haven't you? So you're on you're on the University yeah. of Reading so, website. So you
1: could Google Richard Allen Climate. That usually gets to me.
0: An Allen with an A-N. Definitely. Everybody thinks we're yeah. an E-N. Yeah. I'll, not,
1: I'll not respond to any messages to Professor Allen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're also on Twitter as well, aren't you? So yeah. it's, um, I can't remember what your Twitter handle is.
1: RP Allen UK, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? or just find find him on the reading university mm. um website so you'll be on there but but listen thank you very much for joining me it's been it's been really i'm sure i'm sure we shall i shall be getting you back on here again but um but thank you very much and to everybody else thank you for listening and watching and i shall see you soon bye bye Thanks for listening to Electric Evolution with Liz Allen. If you want to find out more about Full Circle Continuous Improvement, please visit us at www.fullcircleci.co.uk. Don't forget to keep listening for more episodes coming up really soon.